Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'd like to welcome all of you who are following along and watching this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. Uh, as always, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. I hope everyone is enjoying fall and hopefully your sports teams that you cheer for are giving you something to cheer for. And as you can see, I am talking with Beth Anders. Uh, we, I went through the superlatives, but I'll do it again. 2017 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, nine national championships, the first field hockey coach to surpass 500 wins. And oh, by the way, she's also a published author. And that's what we're going to discuss today. She recently released two books, uh, Develop Teams, Wins Follow, and ODU Field Hockey, The Dynasty. And so we're going to talk to her about that today. So Beth, hopefully the technical difficulties are past this. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, the books are available wherever books are sold. I got mine on Amazon. Um, so if you get the chance to please read them, please go out and get them. You can get the digital copy or the hard copies um, anywhere books are sold. But uh, obviously, if you have any questions, this is on our Facebook live feed today. So if you want to ask Beth something, please send that over and I'll try to get that up there. But the title of the book, the book that we're going to focus on first, uh, as I mentioned, is Develop Teams, Wins Follow. Four words. Seems like a pretty easy blueprint for success, but why does it become so difficult sometimes to develop those teams for long-term success? Well, first of all, it takes a, a lot of work that uh, no one really knows. Everybody wants to be successful, but they really don't know uh, what it requires and what you have to do. And I wrote the book not to tell people what to do, but just to tell them what we did. And hopefully some of that would help them. But uh, it's really not about the coach. It's about getting to the heart of the players. And if you can get to that heart, um, you can give them good direction. So the blueprint basically is direction or structure in which well, you thrive. And, and you know, part of that structure, one of the things that I really took away from the book is you, you made it a very clear that you never set rules. You didn't have a set of rules, but you set expectations. Why did that work for the groups that you coached over three decades? Well, the funny thing is, um, you got to remember, I was a player too. So as soon as a coach would set a rule, before you even left the room, you knew how you're going to break it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, my players weren't any different. They were, they were way inside the box as well. But if you set expectations, then the players have to make choices. And when you allow them to make choices and claim their own ownership, it becomes a different animal. And they take pride in that and uh, they thrive under it. You, you mentioned that your, your players were interesting and, and you know, they, they rules versus expectations. But one of the, one of, a quote that stuck out to me as well was one of your players attributed to the success, the long-term success of ODU field hockey was because we were not normal. Yeah. What did you think when you heard that and that made it into the book? I thought, I, th I thought it was hysterical. I mean, they, I love my players. They are so honest and so authentic. And we had an alumni event um, just a couple of years ago, which the alumni put on themselves. They organized it and did it themselves. And they were at my house and it was Carolyn yelled across the room and she said, hey, Beth, I know why we're so successful. She goes, we're just not normal. <laughs> it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you started down the coaching path, uh, you know, you, you actually, you're, you're coaching, getting the job at ODU kind of came in a weird year for you. You, you, were, you had made the 1980 Olympic field hockey team as a player, but right. didn't play due to the U.S. boycott. After that, you then meet 
Dr. Jim Jarrett from ODU, and, and he offers you the position. Talk about that juxtaposition that year that got you into collegiate coaching. You had been coaching in high school. Right. Well, what it's called, I call it a hinge moment in the book because it's something that changes your life. I loved coaching high school, absolutely loved it. And I coached a lot of sports besides field hockey. And uh, the boycott uh, in December before 1980, they kind of announced that they were going to boycott and I didn't believe it. And um, so the superintendent called me in and before the boycott was announced, he said, you have to choose between teaching or going to the Olympics. So that was pretty easy for me. I, I really wanted to play and I wanted to, it was a dream to go to the Olympics. So as things happen, one week later, one door closes and somebody said, you should apply down to Old Dominion. I said, they'll never take a high school coach. You know, I was thinking that. I said, okay, I'll go down and interviewed. And uh, it was a perfect fit. I mean, Jim was just, uh, we were on the same page. We wanted the same thing. He did question me about my height, you know, why not college? I didn't do college. But um, as it turned out, he wanted somebody to push the envelope and he wanted somebody to challenge him. And uh, I was grateful that he and Mickey picked me. <laughs> well, it ended up really being, you know, the right place, the right program at the right time. I mean, at that point, I think Title IX was less than 10 years old. And there was still the AIAW. You hadn't quite transitioned to the NCAA yet. But talk, kind of talk a little bit more about Dr. Jarrett's influence on that and how he focused on female sports and actually saw that as a positive and not a hindrance in building his athletic program. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a pioneer and he believed in women's athletics. And he had a program called Selective Excellence that was just, he and Mickey made it and it was just phenomenal. Uh, which meant there was two top uh, tier teams and then there were three second tier and I don't know how many third tier, but he, and they were equal, like we were equal in the second tier with the other men's teams. And he felt that that was very important and that he believed in women and uh, he supported women. And he was one of the first to actually give basketball scholarships. So um, he didn't give us everything. <laughs> he told us, he told us we had to earn it, and but if we did earn it and justify it, he, uh, you know, he provided an opportunity, which is what he did for women. So, truly, I think a pioneer is probably the best way to describe him. You know, he's an inductee here at the Hall of Fame as well. And if you look at a lot of the old Dominion inductees, they're from those female sports. You know, they they had that impact, and it, it can all come down to just the culture that was built there. But excuse me, as you got into coaching. And as you started to, to build your resume in coaching, who were the coaches that, that you like looked up to or that you read about, you read their story as somebody might be reading your story now, and then who did you seek out advice from even after you had success? Well, it's like you said, we were in the beginning. AIAW and uh, NCAA really came in 81, I think. I'm, I'm not 100%, maybe 80, but 81. So there weren't a lot of... Um, women coaches in field hockey, we were starting it. So we had to figure it out. So I drew from other people like uh, uh, Mike, I can't say his last name, <laughs> from Duke. And I mean, anybody, even business people, I just read and read and read as, as much as I could and try to understand where they came from. So I just listened to people, I watched people 
And, uh, you know, the main people I watched, honestly, Will, were my players. They, they told me what they wanted. And if they wanted something, they had to match the behavior to it. They couldn't say, well, we want to win and then go off and do something else. They had to match a behavior to that. So. And, you know, you, you mentioned the players and the players obviously are the ones who are on the field. They're, they're the ones who are carrying out um, you know, the things that you're coaching. And that yeah. success came pretty quick. You know, 1980 to 1984, you won three national titles. Um, and I wanna, another thing that I really enjoyed was your first game as coach at ODU, you were looking at the schedule and you asked who won the national championship last year. We want to play them first this season. But how were you able to build that culture and that gain that much success that quickly? You know, what, is there a blueprint for that? What, what, what did that come down to? Well, you know, I think when you're young, you just, uh, as young as I was, I just guess you think you can do anything, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. You know, as long as that, like I said, you match behavior. So I took a group of girls and watched them and figured out what they could do. And actually there were three things we did in the first two years, take the ball down the right, play defense, man-to-man -man defense and hit the ball. That's it, we did nothing else, but we did that and we did that hard. And when you work with somebody hard, they start to believe. <laughs> and uh, I was able to get some other recruits. Like one of our, uh, in those years, we were in the, the semis and we were down four nothing. And um, so I pulled the goalie. The kids never saw this before. We never worked on it. But they figured, holy cow, she's pulling the goalie. She, I guess she figures we can win this. So, and they did. They won the game. So we did that two years back to back. And it was just, I just think through the hard work. We did not have a blueprint then. We didn't, we didn't have a standard code of operation. We just worked hard together and believed in each other. Well, in, in reading the book too, you know, I, when you mentioned pull the goalie, I know that that's an ice hockey, that, that that's a long held ice hockey strategy. I didn't realize that that wasn't really anything that had been done in field hockey. And, and you did it two years in a row and, yeah. and you won national titles as a result of that. Um, right. you know, your coaching philosophy really came down, at least what I took away, came down to two words, why plus how, or why right. and how. Can you describe how those two words came to kind of define your approach when it came to coaching? Well, you know, you just, uh, you have to tell, or you have to give the, the players what you're all about. And I was just thought about it. And what I was about was, uh, I love the game. Absolutely love it. I had total passion for it. And that's why I played and that's why I'm coaching. And the how I knew was preparation. If you were willing to put the work in and prepare, not just say you're gonna prepare, but really day in and day out prepare, I believed you could be successful. And it's something I started with from 1980. And uh, honestly, I still believe it today in everything, so. <laughs> well, you know, when you, when you prepare, you obviously have a, um, you can create things that players can look at. And you also gave your players a lot of autonomy and you kind of gave them what you call, and I'm even putting quotation marks, ownership of the team. Okay. And, and each year you had your team develop a code for that year. Why was that important? And, and how did that transition you know, from year to year when you still had maybe younger, younger players becoming upperclassmen, upperclass moving on and a new group coming in? How did that code evolve over time? Well, okay, so when I coach, I realized, to give you a little background, that when you're a freshman, 
I'm probably going to do 80% of the work and you're going to do 20. And then when you're a sophomore, you're going to probably, I'm going to probably do 60% of the work and you're going to do 40. And then as a junior, it turns around to where they're doing 60 and I'm doing 40. And then as a senior, they're doing 80 and I'm doing 20. So now they really have developed into their own ownership. And uh, that's really important. And it's interesting, Will, because everybody thought I was a coach that uh, my way or the highway. And I was completely the opposite, you know, and I uh, let them set a word like one year, it's our playground. It was their code or their word. And the reason that was so important because they were so good and had so many expectations. I just believe they had to feel every day they went on the field, it was a playground, that it was fun, that you play like a kid on a playground. And they, they just go, yeah, wow, and bought into it. And it, it just took them through the season. So. Did it did it take you a few seasons to to determine that you know you had to give the players some of that ownership? You know, I mean, it, as a as a new coach, you know, your first time in college, you obviously want things to be done your way, and you want to you want to take ownership of your program. But at what point did you realize that no, this is the players' program too, and they're going to be the ones that kind of right? It was uh, create this legacy and hopefully give us that long term. Right. Well, I believe from the get-go, from the first year I coached, that uh, the players write their own story each year. And it was very important for them to write their own story. So uh, it was really, now remember, I was still playing when I first coached. So I knew, I, I knew what was important, and it was that the players are the ones playing the game. So right from the get-go, what I would do is uh, we had a, a season after our season, we had it called postseason in the spring. And that's where I learned about the players, where I watched them and listened and saw what was important to them and what they needed. And that that's where I formed the word for the next year. And, uh, and, and that was important to them. So. Well, I think that that really, um, you know, I think that that speaks to just the idea of, of the ODU field hockey program and the aura around it. And and, you know, you, you had this great relationship with your players where you, you constantly wanted to build that relationship from the day they stepped on campus. And like I said, it wasn't setting rules, but it was setting expectations. But there's a funny quote from you where you say players generally didn't like you the first two years. Um, but you, you still didn't shy away from building those relationships because you saw how important they were. Uh, why did you think it was difficult for the players to figure it out those first couple of years? Or why was it difficult for them to, to see what it was you were trying to teach? Well, because they, uh, for whatever reason, they were able um, to get away with things. And I didn't let them get away with anything. Um, you know, if, it's important if you say something, you stand by it. So no one likes discipline. And there was discipline to it. No one likes to be held accountable. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I get mad at myself sometimes. And then the responsibility once they start to see that that's important and you stay consistent on your message, um, then they come around. But at first, they don't like you. They don't want to be disciplined. They want to do, you know, they want to get away with things and they're normal, you know. And uh, but once they learn that, it's funny. Yeah, they they get on board real quick. <laughs> It's like a yeah, well, I'm learning now with a with an eight year old 
Yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm learning now with an eight-year-old that he knows everything. Um, yeah. and I think he figured that out about a year ago and I know nothing. So I can only imagine what it's like when you bring in 20 uh, <laughs> teens into their 20s. Um, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you know it, it takes a village and nine national championships, 16 final fours, 28 uh, NCAA appearances doesn't just happen because Beth Anders is the, is the head coach. It's a big component, but it's not just the head coach. Talk about the support system that was able to be built at ODU to realize, you know, we already talked about Dr. Jarrett, but talk about what else was in place there to help you realize the success and make sure that the, the program, while not getting everything, got what they needed to be able to be successful. Right, well, Mickey, Mickey Bell was an important cog too. She was my direct report and, um, she was so supportive and uh you know if i wanted to do something and jim said no she said well okay we got to figure out how to do it so we were all problem solvers even the um the secretaries were uh, i remember going into jim's office one day wanting to uh ask him for something and sue carroll said not today <laughs> so everybody was aware of what was going on and, and had each other but tony Hag was unbelievable with academic support and uh, and we all we all had the same uh, thought that the players mattered, but we wanted to make sure they did it the right way. So, and my assistants, um, they were just I was so fortunate to have them. Shar was one of my first ones. Several of my players were my assistants. Sue was there for twenty seven or, or thirty years. And we could, the thing is about the whole athletic department, you can disagree behind the door because you're all fighting for the same thing. But when you walk out that door, you're on the same page. And those conversations were good. We weren't cheerleaders. We wanted to get something done. And uh, we were very honest and authentic with each other. So I think that works. And of course, well, I think that what's that? Oh, I was going to say, I think that cohesion uh, definitely carried on to your players. You know, one of the things that I, I really uh, enjoyed reading was just how how involved the players were, not just during the season. You know, it was during summer camps. It was alumni coming back and kind of showing the way to the to the new crop of players uh, that this is this is ODU field hockey and this is what's expected of you. Um, you know, how exciting was how excited was it were you when you saw all of that post playing involvement from your alumni, from the, the girls that you coached? Well, that, um, the, the summer camps, let me talk about that. That was so important because when we initially started out, we weren't fully funded until about the last eight or 10 years of my uh, coaching. So we, we had to make money. So we didn't have the money. So Mickey goes, well, Jim says, then you have to go out and get money from people and so forth and so on. I go, I can't do that. So I said, how about summer camps? So that was perfect. We ran four or five summer camps, uh, brought in uh, over a quarter million dollars uh, each summer that went somewhere in the school. And then part of that would go to our program. But at camps, we had alumni working, we had players working, teaching the game, and we weren't in an entertainment camp, we were a teaching camp. So alumni, I signed alumni with the players that I thought would match and be good, so the alumni loved to tell stories and the players got really close to them. So it just created something. I mean, jobs happened from that. Everything happened from that. So it was just a, a great summer atmosphere that really was a big part of our program. 
Well, and, and, you know, I think you can see that too in just reading. Uh, what One thing that you see a lot if you, if you read the book is there's still a lot of player input and there's a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot of kind of anecdotes from players talking about things that you are writing about in the book. And, and I don't think that would have happened if, if they didn't mean it. And so I think that that really speaks to the, to the level of respect that they had for you. Um, I, I want to get into a couple of stories that I took from the book, and I don't want to give everything away because I do want people to, to go out, support you, read the book. But one of my favorite stories is, um, and I think, again, this highlights the trust that your players had in you. In one of the early championship game appearances, you, you talk about how the team was just struggling in the first half and they just they weren't getting anything in. And and so they go into halftime and I can't remember what the exact score was, but you all were down. And you delayed your entrance into the team huddle. And when you did, you came to them and you said, don't worry, the goals were offline. We're going to be fine. And in the next half, they scored, I think, five goals and they ended up winning the championship. Now, you can tell us the goals were never offline, were they? No. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a true story because, again, I, they, were, they were so close and they were playing so well that I knew I was gonna go in there and they were gonna be upset. So I thought, okay, I just waited. I said something to the officials like, hey, how you doing? You're doing a good, whatever, and just waited. And they saw me go to the officials and so forth. And I went in and told them that. And all of a sudden you saw in the locker room, oh, okay, we got this. <laughs> what, what, what gave you that idea to, to use that as the excuse? I, you know, who knows? I mean, it just, you know, again, as a player, I knew how frustrating that was. And, you know, and you probably think out of the cages, you know, I don't know. I do have a sense of humor sometimes I use with the kids and who knew they would react like that? <laughs> well, it, it led to a national championship and yeah. here we are all these years later and multiple people corroborated that story in the book. So I thought that was, that was great. And, yeah. and one other story from the book, um, the night before a national championship game, you gather a team in your hotel room and you pull out a Dr. Seuss book yeah. and you read that to the team. Now, these are college students. What yeah. gave you the sense that that was what that particular team needed that night? Well, you're going into a championship and you can see the kids are so tight and they're so they want so much because they've worked so hard. And once the whistle blows, I knew they were going to be OK. But to get them to that point, to try to get them to sleep that night, I thought somehow I got to relax. So I got the book and I actually wrote their names the, over the places you go is the Dr. Seuss. So I put their names actually in the story. So when, it, when I read the story, all their names were in the book somewhere. So they, they, they loved it. <laughs> they were relaxed. We didn't talk anything about the game. And they were just, they were ready to go. Well, it's, it, it goes to show that successful coaching is, is not just the X's and O's on the field. It's, it's people management, it's development. And you know, that's why the name of the book is Develop Teams, Wins, Follow. Um, you had a co-author in this book, Dr. Eileen Hablo, uh, I believe is, is how you pronounce her name. But right. she, in, in her uh, portion at the very end, she described you as tough and a people person. Now, from just my 38 years on this earth, that, those two things are typically mutually exclusive. Um, do you agree with that assessment? And if so, how are you able to balance the two? Um, I do agree with it. Uh, I agree with it. Tough means that um, I would set 
an expectation and not quit until we got it. So, and the people part is, uh, people mattered to me and how they felt and what they did. And I would, I'm a big listener and a watcher. I watch a lot of things and I try to figure out uh, how to get them there. So I'm not, I don't like crowds as a person, <laughs> but I do think, uh, and I'm not com comfortable in crowds, but I do really enjoy um, understanding people. And I actually got that from my dad, my brother and I did, because he would take us into work on a Saturday and he was an uh, administrator and CEO of a company and he knew every person's name and what they did. The janitor, the uh, secretaries, the factory workers, and my brother and I, who do manage the same way, we like go, wow, he knows everybody's name and, and, and what they were about. So I think that was impressive to us. You can certainly see the correlation because you, you touch on that in the book as well, the correlation between learning from how your dad did, uh, how your dad operated at his, at his job to how you ended up coaching and dealing with your players. Um, you know, speaking of the players, the second book that you wrote was Old Dominion University Field Hockey, The Dynasty. But that is more the players kind of telling the story, not necessarily you kind of highlighting your coaching philosophy and principles. Right. Um, how, what, what was that experience like reading those stories? I, I mean, um, in 2013, we had a retirement party and so many alumni came back to tell us stories. So I knew at that point, uh, I wanted to somehow pay tribute to them and I didn't know how to do it. So I asked them to write those stories and oh my gosh, they were hysterical. And I was just reading, reading, reading. And I realized these players are, were so successful and nobody really knows their story. You know, and the truth is, if you're successful, you don't really have to tell anybody. But I felt as if their story had to be told somehow because this was so unique and something um, anybody who reads it could appreciate who, who these people were. So I, I was determined to do that and I really wanted to do it because I just thought they were so special. And I was so proud of all of them and what they've done. Yeah, and these weren't, if you get the chance to read it, this isn't just a couple players talking. This is dozens, uh, dozens of players, you know, coming back and sharing their perspective. And, and the one thing that I, this will always stick with me, my first uh, induction uh, ceremony in when I, being involved with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame was yours. And I, I'll never forget the amount of players that returned to, came, to come and support you at your induction ceremony. And again, I think that just speaks to everything that we've discussed here. And, uh, and I hope that I know I enjoyed the book. Um, I hope the book continues to be a great success and I hope everybody reads it. And, uh, and Beth, it's always a pleasure catching up with you and, and actually learning more about uh, Beth Anders, the coach. Uh, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit as a person, but it's nice to, it's nice to hear and, and see your principles and philosophies. So thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks a lot. You, did, you really uh, did a great job. And congratulations to you on your award too.
Oh, thank you. Yes, Beth is uh, referencing the Inside Business Top 40 Under 40. So a great recognition. And I can't do it without all the support system that we have. So again, it takes a village. Uh, it's, it's, not just, it's not just me here. Um, but again, make sure you get a chance to read Develop Teams, Wins, Follow, and The Dynasty, Old Dominion Field Hockey, 1980 to 2012. The, both books are available wherever books are sold. So hey, Christmas is coming up. Good chance to get a Christmas present. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in. I did see a few people uh, coming in on the stream. Um, and as always, thanks for our partners, Priority Automotive, the City of Virginia Beach, DAVCON, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, and our friends at the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at VA Sports HOF on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, once again, I am Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And whatever you do, participate, don't spectate, and we'll see you again next time.